The year is 2020. A wasteland and a field of ruin have destroyed our mana bases. There is but one solution, one way to save the metagame. Brave souls working for the benefit of us all. Welcome to the Astrolab. Hello and welcome to the Astro Lab, the only podcast on the internet that everybody wants to ban, only because we make good mana and we draw a bunch of cards. I'm your host, Joe Dyer, and with me tonight, as always, possibly wearing something baseball related, I hope, is my co-host, Scott Campbell. How are you doing tonight, Scott? In the not too distant future. La, la, la. Oh, wait. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of uh, MS3K lately, and uh, I know I'm I'm okay. I mean, quarantine still haven't played Paper Magic in a long time. Right. I don't. What What is modern? Like, I don't even know anymore. Um, uh, I don't even think Wizards of the Coast knows what modern is. What are you talking about? Jeez. <laughs> I don't even kidding, test for standard. Kidding, Come on. So kidding. kidding. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, Scott, what's going on, Joe? Yeah, what are you doing doing? this week? (laughs) We're we're talking over each other, a professional podcast here. All right, um, what have I been up to? Um, have you played any magic this week? I I think I've played Arena and I'm looking at some of the standard stuff because I get the dirty control player. I am, I get the kill 25 opposing creatures or something. I'm like. Am I going to do this when all the decks are mid range beast fests and mutating and uros and whatever, right? Right. I think I got there. I can't remember. Uh, cause I just got so far. Cause when I get that, I usually know I'm on arena for at least two hours trying to accomplish that, just hitting the best of one play queue. I don't climb the ladder, right? Last time I climbed any ladder, I was playing shoots and ladders. I was maybe in single digits. <laughs> um, yeah, I I thought about doing that eventually, but now with store going to be an always on queue, which is going to be sweet because I can play Teferi of Hero Dominaria again. Just play him anywhere else. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I've dabbled a little bit, but mostly I've been playing my lawful evil cleric Bane on Neverwinter Nights, and I, I have an alt which is a lawful good Paladin of Helm because I play both sides of the alignment axis i guess but <laughs> outside of that just uh work still trying to get the house in order and stuff it's it's a slower process than i like but it is what it is w- waiting for 65 plus degree weather outside too because you know ohio yeah oh. no kidding oh boy yeah How are you man what's going on oh you know not much just still trying to kind of keep in the, the groove of work uh you know working on article content because that never ends <laughs> now mine uh, uh by the time people hear this uh and we'll be up and uh i kind of take the gloves off a little bit um the whole companion thing and my thoughts on that and expanding upon what we talked about last week but putting it right. in written form 
Uh, and, and hey, our, our podcast isn't banned. We're right. We're, we're still here. So that, that's a good thing, right? That's true. That's true. Uh, I have also been playing some Magic. Uh, I've been playing uh, mostly on Magic Online. Uh, so I've been testing uh, the uh, Mono White Zerda uh, Bomberman deck in Legacy. Uh, and that's been quite fun so far. Okay. Uh, like, yeah, companions are pretty egregious and all, but this seems like uh, the one that, to play that nobody else is. That I shouldn't say nobody else, but I think people are criminally underplaying Zerda right now in the format. Uh, this deck is really good. Uh, the problem with it is that it does kind of have a bad Delver matchup. I think our Delver is really popular right now because of Luris. Right. Uh, but uh, you can kind of shore up your Delver matchup a little bit, uh, and it the deck is really explosive, uh, and it reminds me a lot of those moments where I was playing Karn Forge and Vintage, like the Mystic Forge combo decks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it really reminds me of that a lot. Like, it's very, very explosive. Uh, you're killing people on turn two, turn three, it's just really, really, really absurd when it does its thing. And it's really resilient, I found. Um, so the deck basically is just like a bunch of fast mana. Uh, you've got, you know, Grim Monoliths, Basalt Monoliths. You've got like Mindstone. You've got uh, Lion's Eye Diamonds, Lotus Petals, uh, Mox Opals. It's just a pile of mana, basically. And it, and really, that's just because Zerda's, you know, deck re restriction, you know, to build around Zerda is you have to have cards that only have uh, activated abilities right. in your deck. Uh, so you can't have things like Chalice of the Void. Uh, you can't have things like Defense Grid. Uh, and that's really awkward. <laughs> but it. it doesn't generally matter uh, because, like, literally every card you want to resolve uh, is a must-counter threat. Uh, so if you want, if you're a resolve card in the great creator, you know, that's going to be a card that they really need to counter, uh, or they're going to be, you know, dying to that card. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing is, you know, it's countering, you know, Karn Sina versus less, less, but less as good as this Karn the great creator. Let's be realistic. Like you want to resolve Karn the great creator over Karn Sina versa, but Karn Sina versa can also win you a bunch of games too. Uh, so, but also like Mystic Forge, Mystic Forge is like a must counter card. Like that's just, it's just gonna win you the game, generally ninety percent of the time. Uh, so the it does present a real interesting conundrum to decks that play counter magic because they do have to consider whether or not they go after payoffs or they go after mana, hmm. and you have a lot of mana. So like going after mana is really hard because you have to go after payoffs, and but they have so many good payoffs. It can resolve so many of them quickly that it's hard to have a counter spell for everything. Yeah, but, you're gonna run out of answers. Right. Yeah. So deck's cool. Uh the 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 weakness it does have is it does fall over really hard to like deck, cards like Nullrod. Uh and it, well, like, that card does nothing. <laughs> it also falls over really hard to like Stony Silence, which is why um people have kind of Wait shifted Stony Silence and Legacy. Uh, you'd be surprised. People diversifying uh, their answers uh, simply because of cards like Meddling Mage that have been seeing a lot of play. Uh, so yeah, I'm not surprised to see it, uh, especially since 
if you're on red for Zerta, uh, you cannot easily answer um, Stony Silence at all. all right. Uh, you can't. Yeah, you, know, you can, but you have to play cards like Chaos Warp, which are kind of yeah. Bad. That's one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Like that's basically the only way. Uh, you can answer Null Rod really and that sort of thing but you don't aren't really able to answer uh stony silence easily but with white uh you get access to uh seal of cleansing uh which you can use to answer that kind of stuff and white also gives you access to uh, stuff like uh swords of plushers and uh path to exile out of the sideboard Mm, Um, disenchant uh yeah i'm not actually currently playing any just playing uh seal cleansing mm-hmm. uh, and, and honestly i don't think there's a real difference in playing either or uh i think the thing is that uh, what i like about seal of cleansing is that you can just kind of like play it out to the board yeah uh, and then let it sit there and make your opponent play around it uh and so if they jam their stony silence or they jam their null rod or you could beat it immediately uh and you could do and you can wait till your turn to do it and then you then you're untapped. You can go off. Yeah, yeah. That that way you're not just killing it. Kill it. You have stuff in hand to kill it and then secure the win. Right, right. So I I think it's that's what I like about it better. And then also like white gives you access to stuff like glass casket, which is really cool. Uh, oh, wow. oh yeah, that was from yeah. Throne of Eldraine, right? Yeah, it's neat that the card's seeing play hmm. uh, because it's an artifact that you could wish for with Karn. Right. Yeah, you're never going to board it in. Uh, it's always going to stay in your sideboard uh, for you to wish for. Uh, Interesting. Because, because it doesn't have an activated ability. <laughs> so you're not, that's why you're never going to board it. Because you almost never... Uh, where you're going to have Zerta not as a companion. Like, it's just mm. too good. It's just too good. Uh, but So I started playing around with that. I've been playing around with that. Um, I've played about 11 matches with it so far. Um, currently 10 1 in matches with it. Oh, sweet. Uh, Good job. And uh, 21 6 in games, individual games. Wow. With it. So it's pretty absurd. I'm pretty sure it's probably the best combo deck in the format, but it's not a lot of people are playing it. So, uh, and then uh, Carrie Solnox, uh, NG, I don't know how to say his last name. I'm sorry, Carrie. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I really don't. Uh, I'm just gonna call him Solnox because that's his name. Okay. Uh, uh, Solnox turned. We started working on and tuning around with a uh, Nick Fit list that played Yorion. Uh, oh yeah, I think you tweeted about this. Yeah, and so we leaned into the meme that Nick Fit deck, and so we built the deck at 100 cards. <laughs> <laughs> And it's great. <laughs> he actually five oh, owed with it uh, this past week. Uh, he had like the other night. So last night, oh. last night or the other night, he he five owed this deck. So I'm really excited to see this show up in the, like the published deck list because I'm sure it will. Because it's definitely going to be twenty cards off of everything else because it's a hundred cards. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're going to need to find deck boxes that hold like 115 cards. Basically, yeah, yeah, because it is 100 cards plus his 15 card side. So oh, that's that's hilarious. Fourteen card sideboard plus 14, companion. Fourteen card sideboard plus companion. Yorion yeah. is really dominant too, uh, because you get like you have all the cards like Astral. You're playing all the cards like Astrolabe. 
you know, you're gonna play all the astrolabes. You're gonna play. We, I think we were the last last list we were on was like two to two to four abundant growth, because mm-hmm. uh, you just want to draw cards, uh, and it's just good raw card draw. It's basically astrolabe that you have to pay a land for. Uh, that just stays on a land, so it's kind of similar, but it it's just astrolabe that costs green. <laughs> uh but yeah it's it's pretty fun uh it takes a little bit of time to get used to playing it because it's really grindy yeah like the grindy decks from the little i've played uh on mtgo before um are okay to play but the deck like you talked about uh with bomberman like there's a lot of clicking involved you got to make sure you sequence things right and, and doing a lot of clicking uh, on moto which might be why a lot of people aren't playing that deck right now as far as like a combo deck yeah my my experience so far has been that um even if your opponent makes you do it it doesn't take that long to make enough run mm-hmm. uh, especially with basalt monolith basalt monolith requires a lot less clicks per uh untap than okay. grim monolith does uh, and that's because basalt monolith is reduced to one uh to untap and Grim Monolith is reduced to two. Oh, so you so you have a tap for to tap it for mana. Then you have a click where you tap where you click it to activate it. And then for Grim Monolith, you have two clicks to click the mana pool to use the mana to untap it. Whereas Basalt Monolith, you have one click to untap it. Uh, so it's basically three clicks per uh, for Basalt Monolith and four clicks per for Grim Monolith. Okay, well, I guess it's not too bad. It's it's really not. Like, you can make enough mana very quickly. Uh, and if at some point, like, you make enough mana, typically if you deploy a card that's basically says it's your win condition, like, sometimes I'll make enough mana to where I can just cast Ballista for 10 instead of waiting to cast it for 20. Right. Uh, just to show my opponent that I have the card. Uh, and then usually they'll concede to that. And some can't playing ballista why, why don't you make like snake tokens nah ballista's just the cleanest kill okay it's just the much cleanest kill i know i have seen people mess around with uh staff of domination Ooh. uh as a way to win uh i've also seen people mess around with uh diviner's wand as a mana sink so people it's like some people playing the white versions will play like stoneforge mystic and they'll play it for diviner's wand which basically is just a crappy wizard equipment, but it has this mana sink ability where you pay for and the creature gets plus one plus one and you draw a card or something like that. It's like the creature gets plus one plus one for each card in your hand or something like that. And you pay for and it you does something and you draw a card. Uh so basically it's you you just draw your deck is basically what the card does. Uh morning tide. Okay. So this must yeah. be one of these sweet uh Shafts. Yeah, it was one um, of those dry, tribal uh, equipments. Yeah, wizard equipment. Whenever you yeah. draw a card, the creature gets plus one, plus one, and gains flying. Yes. Yeah, four and draw a card. Yep. Yep, yep. That's pretty much all there is to it. <laughs> and you can equip it for free if you put a wizard on the battlefield. Okay. Yeah, but you don't even have to equip it to something, I think, to get the... Oh, uh, man. Does it get the Wayne, get, the Wayne a, England card. It's It's just a mana sink. So, but I don't think that's actually good. Um, personally, uh, Ballista is like the most cleanest kill. Uh, and of course, like 
if you have to, if you have to get creative, cast and your opponent like needles or spyglasses, your ballista or whatever, you could just also just make like a 2020 ballista and turn them sideways yeah. <laughs> or use Karn Cyan of Urza to make, you know, a bunch of 1010 tokens, you know, and, you know, that sounds like fun. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's cool. So, but yeah, that's all I've been up to. Uh, I've also been, um, buying Legos, like I think crazy. That's been like kind of like my, my retail therapy during this, <laughs> this period of quarantine. Uh, at least there are stores open where you can go get Legos. I mean, they may not be great stores, but no, I mean, I've been, I've gotten a couple good, good sets so far. Uh, I've got a, uh, I've got a episode three revenge of the Sith set, uh, that has Anakin and Obi-Wan on Mustafar. Basically it's a little Anakin Obi-Wan, uh, dual set. Uh, and that's that's pretty cool. And then I've got, I bought. They have an Iron Man, Thanos mecha, and uh, so I bought those, both of those, uh, and those are pretty neat. Uh, the Thanos is actually pretty cool. It comes with a little. He has his own a big infinity. It's pretty sweet, but nice. that's that's been that's been my retail therapy. Uh, throughout this whole thing, uh, is spending money on Legos. <laughs> yeah, I I know all about that retail therapy, having these foil cards. Yeah, earlier we mentioned uh, disenchant. No, disenchant is in standard. Is it really? It is it was reprinted in the core set? So all these people out there complaining about fires of invention have things like disenchant, mortify, wilt. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm sure there's all sorts of answers to enchantments in the format. That's, so that's the new one. Complaining, play answers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's answers for sure. Uh, answers for days, I guess. Wait, is there an answer for days in Legacy? Yeah, it's called uh, "Don't play into it." I don't know. Play your land first. Yeah, yeah. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, play, play your play your land first. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I, I got bad jokes, you know, and later on we're going to be talking about bad deck names. Um, am I wrong to think that, or am I wrong to think of the Activision video game every time I hear someone talk about the Legacy deck Bomberman? Go for it, sure. Okay, all right. Uh, yeah. Just every time someone says that, that's all I think of. I don't know if that's where I got seen from, but who knows. Uh, I think so, actually. I think that actually is the the origin of that deck. Uh, of course, the funny part about that is is that that deck was named that because uh, Oriok Salvagers was yeah. the card that was the Bomberman, but the deck doesn't even play Oriok Salvagers anymore. <laughs> so at least the versions of Wizarda don't anymore. They they did at the beginning, but they don't anymore. Got it's, pushed it's, out. No, nope, oh, how dare wizards! It's just too good to make a bunch of mana. <laughs> so, what else? So, what do we got to talk about tonight, Scott? We got well, some stuff on the. We're still early in our podcast lives, so we're going to be bringing up a topic that probably uh, had been beaten to death prior to uh, prior to the lab launching. And uh, first thing I want to talk about is these fetch lands. <laughs> this Crit. is what we're going to refer to as our Scott yells at clouds segment. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> um, I'm going to let him take this one. <laughs> boy. Go oh, for it. 
First of all, did you know that there's going to be a uh, signature spellbook Chandra coming out? Yes. Okay. I'm glad you remember that because a lot of people probably forgot. There's a segment that was done on the Professor's channel a while ago uh, showcasing new things coming out. Started out with the signature spellbook Chandra, which I'm like, oh, wow, neat. Then it's like Secret Lair Fetchlands. That like dwarfed any type of conversation about signature spellbook Chandra. So it's like, great. good job. You, you have like your primary cosplayer and Christine Sprinkle completely destroyed because of these I Fetchlands. Whatever. Um, <laughs> These things, the quote-unquote secret layer, is only available at stores. There's maybe less than 10 per store, I think. Uh, and during a global pandemic, these retailers were like, hey, you can pre-order yours for some ungodly amount, like over $300. Like, not as much as a single Bayou from Revised. Actually, probably more than that, really. Um, and we're like, wow, this is just so deaf. And the whole conversation was they could retail a little bit above $165, which was the same as, I think, uh, Commander Anthology. Anthology. Yeah, Commander Anthology or Commander Anthology 2 or something. Which, at least with that product, you have four decks to play with. Um, Instead, you have five lands all in this own box. You, you these lands out, now you have all this trash. That, that's a real good idea. Um, they're not foil. Uh, these lands are all brand new artwork. Uh, um, really great artists. Each oh, land, yeah. The art on it is great. Uh, each is of these yeah. Yeah. It's just on fire lately. Yeah, yeah. Um, each of the lands depicts a different plane in magic, which I thought was cool. Like we they get you're you're fetching a land from maybe Lorwyn or something. You know, you can kinda build your basic lands or even your dual lands, uh, and your fetch lands around like that same plane if possible. There's kind of some Vorthosy stuff there too. That was kind of neat. But all aside, everything else that happened, we talked last week about the Godzilla lands. There's five basic lands in there. How much was that again? 30, 30 bucks, whatever, right? Yeah, 30 bucks. So Wizards is pretty much telling us without telling us they are aware of the secondary market. You can't, you can't produce the cards the same exact way, the same exact type of product, and have this giant discrepancy in price. It doesn't make any sense. You're putting artwork on a piece of two and a half by three and a half cardboard. Or right. the way went to graphic design school. So I understand the ins and outs of what it takes to design um, design a box for a product. And all, all the things that are involved with that as far as from 
logistics and time and money. You can't tell me that how Secret Lair Fetchlands was designed would would prove or, or, or would justify, I should say, the giant price difference between Secret Lair Godzilla Lands or Secret Lair um was it Throne of Eldraine Snowlands? Right. So that that was my my big takeaway in looking at that. Um, and it's already bad enough that the fetch lands themselves are the new ABU dual lands. It comes down to formats like modern, even legacy, uh, to an extent. People are going to need those lands. So there's the whole world to climb, gatekeeping, that type of thing. People wanting to get in these older formats meaning to start out with mono white death and taxes deck or burn or merfolk or something where there aren't fetch lands till they can open up store credit their local events their face beaten in enough to understand they need to start putting more money into the game and that's not fun that's right. not necessary but what kills me really though is wizards has all this data they know what lands are being we know what these lands are being played in across all formats you can't tell me that the need for some of these cards isn't there like the data is proving itself that these are the cards players are playing these are cards players want to play we had all these master sets i had one that had fetch lands and you killed the master sets that something's not not passing the smell test here so it's like we're still stuck in the 90s worried about like well if we if we print fetch land every master set we're gonna off the data investments channels of the world and they're gonna sue us or we're gonna get mad no because he's sets were selling as they were especially early on oh yeah the people that didn't play that just bought product to then flip it for profit still bought that product to flip it for profit they can still buy masters 25 boxes and flip them for some measure of profit because people want to open up jace and the chase cards that, that are in there so we had original fetch lands printed onslaught they were reprinted one time in uh, Constark here. Had the enemy color fetches printed in Zendikar, and they were reprinted uh, one time in Master, Masters 2017. Yeah, Modern Masters it, 2017. Yeah. yeah. So through all that, the original uh, fetch lands from Onslaught only had that artwork that one time. The further we get away from all this, secret layers and doing all this crap, right? The further we get away from how long it's been since they've been printed, those start going up to where we can't purchase those because that artwork is unique, which is going to cause those cards to go up. And you have the cards from the Zendikar set, which was a, a very popular set, it's hard to find even just packs for that, of course. Not saying people should go out and get packs, but the supply on those is so low for the originals. Then you have the reprints. Now, I think there's more 
unfetches out there in the world than there are Modern Masters 2017, still, you know, eventually those will dry up. And yeah, I just, I, I don't, I don't understand it. Like they, they could literally just print dollar bills by putting those into four, five, six dollar booster pack, just some type of reprint set. Um, hopefully they will be in the Commander Legend set. I, that to me that makes the most sense of where they're where they should be because they did say that it will be in a supplementary product this year, and even late last year, early this year, before what the hell, uh, I was predicting that these will be in Commander Legends. Everybody thought they'd be in Zendikar, and I'm like, nah, fam, we're we're gonna get the old Awake Manlands back. That way we have that full cycle. And uh, available for Pioneer, which we'll talk about that crap format here in a moment. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, it makes the most sense. You put them in a commander product at the end of the year. You want people to buy booster boxes to draft. The fetch lands and you, you could put a fetch land in an old daily newspaper and put it in a box and write magic, M-A-G-C-I on it. Just put it out there on the street, and people will buy it because I'm going to open this pack. And there's a fetch land. Yep, that's all I have to do. Yep. So I, what we're saying really is, in the words of Pleasant Kenobi, print fetch lands, you cowards. Right. <laughs> not not since Frankie goes to Hollywood, saying he says relax. Has there been a more potent statement? And. It's pleasant to know be saying that, but yeah, just just the fact that wizards through their product and their pricing is telling people we recognize the secondary market. We'll price these things based on what we see from the secondary market, and then you have uh, Blake from Wizards of the Coast on a Q and A with the professor, pretty much telling people, well, you don't have to play fetch lands, like just because he doesn't. That you shouldn't have to, like just the <laughs> arrogance of it, and and again, uh, me saying this probably deletes us from ever getting a preview card, but I don't care at this point. It's um, probably well. I mean, you could also just play. You know, they're probably they're saying that because you could just play Pioneer, where you know there are no fetch lands. Sure, it's you know Fable Passage, which you know, and and so. that that's the other thing that kills me. It's like we're not going to put fetch lands. In a standard set, but we have Table Passage and Evolving Wild. So you do have fetch lands. We're about to on the Pioneer real quick because we'll get there. People are saying Deathrite Shaman's bad. There's no fetch lands. And I'm like, just the fact that Wizards is always pushing for new, 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 new. It's like you can reprint fair and powerful cards in a standard set. Actually, a core set, which is where those reprints should go. Your lightning bolts, rampant growth, mana leak, things like that. You can do that and still have a powerful standard while still maintaining a fair and balanced uh, format and providing people reprints. That way, you, you kind of get all three. For some reason, there's this push where every single thing has to be new. You can't reprint anything you want. Always got to give them new stuff. They're going to run out of ideas if you go down that path. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's a thing. 
if my fist was a shake weight, it would still be going. <laughs> so speaking of reprint, uh, we were we were talking. There was this post on Tumblr from Morrow uh, about somebody about asking about the Amon Ket remastered set that's going to come to uh, Arena at some point. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. They were talking about that because. Uh, basically for historic, I think. Ah, uh, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were gonna release a, a set of Omni Cat for, mm-hmm. uh, for that, and so it got me thinking. Uh, they've done this before, and they did one of these on Magic Online, uh, but they arguably chose a block that had a really hard time of being a draft set because it wasn't a really great draft set, and that was Tempest Remastered. And it just wasn't. There was something about the draft set, the draft over, really bad, uh, and it just felt really awkward. Uh, Is it so, yeah, I think so. Like it was just like it was, I was just weird. guessing, just to mess with you. Yeah, it was a really weird set. Like, and it was really underdrafted because the just didn't wasn't that well curated. Yeah. I think. Uh, but it got me thinking, like, what is what is, what would be like a like a block set or whatever that you would like to see like remastered, you know, and be like you know that kind of set where it's all one set. They take things from you know the various sets in that block and kind of make it its own draft format. And I was I was thinking about that, like, what would be like the coolest like draft remastered set that you could possibly think of? Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, Tempest because. Um... It's actually like my favorite set block period. Yeah, it, yeah, I love Tempest. I do. Yeah, Avenging Angel. Oh god, so good. Yeah. Anyway, um, well, playing Magic as early as that point, like seeing like, they finally got it to where it's like, you know what, this is gonna be our our format. How we're gonna put out standard sets and things are gonna rotate and. There's this rich story behind it. Like they learn what they did in Mirage and just kind of it better. I I just got drawn in. Anyway, um, but just remastered. That's exactly how sh- they should have been doing these master sets this whole time. I think I tweeted this about a year or two ago. The Morrow of all people, actually, maybe even Gavin Verhey too, do like a Teferi Teferi's Tales, where fairy so everybody down, grandpa style. Like, let me tell you a story about Innistrad. You take <laughs> the, the cards from Innistrad, Dark Ascension, Avacyn Restored, those over Innistrad, and Eldritch Moon. Put all those together. The mechanics you want to highlight, which yeah. people enjoyed playing with, chase mythic rares and rares, so you're Lily on the Veil, Lily on the Last Hope. Just shove it all in there, and here you go, fam. Make it like seven bucks a pack. Yeah. Come out and draft it. They, they pay 40 bucks to draft at the store or whatever. Stores will sell out because people draft it. The chase cards come back to the store. Stores that make a profit off the singles. It's just a machine that feeds itself. And you print it to demand for like a calendar year or how long you want to do it, six months, whatever. Well, you get these cards back in circulation, these game pieces. Back in circulation, and and people love it. And they're like, "What's the next one?" That would energize player base, I think, 
or then something like Honor Horizons, where you had cards like our namesake card, um, and cards like uh, Urza High Artificer, who whitewashed Tezzeret out of his uh, artifact deck. <laughs> uh, Urza really should have been like sub commander in like the 2018 commander deck with, uh, was it Sahili, I think? Yeah, so, yeah, he should have been like the sub commander there. I think that was the, that the one that had Thanos, wasn't it? Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they they should do something like that instead of trying to age interest from all across the breadth of modern. Let's focus on a plane. Want to take us back to a plane? Cool. Take us back to show what happened previously. Because there are times I sit down at Epic Loop. I'll ask someone, hey, when did you start playing Magic? And their answer is like, Battle for Zendikar! Or, you know, something like that. It's like, oh, just a couple years ago. Right. Not like original Zendikar. So they missed out on it Geopede. Um, and all these, like, cool cards that you saw and packs were being opened, you were building with the new set. You can't get that experience now because playing played a GOP. Maybe somebody on Magic Online. But they're missing all these cool things. It's not all about rares and mythics. There's some cool cards that are common and common. And by hyper focusing what the good stuff was, these sets, they could do it that way. Yeah, I'd have to say that. Uh... I think that uh, I would like to, I would like to see them maybe do uh, something like the Zendikar, like do like a Zendikar, um, like remastered, where you kind of like get to like drop some of like the really bad cards that do exist, and just kind of have a more focused uh, draft archetype. I yeah, like the colored Eldrazi from Rise of Eldrazi. Those were ugh. Yeah, yeah, like Scion or or not Scion spawn tokens mm. and stuff like that. Like you could probably even go with uh some cards from Battle for Zendikar because uh there were a few good uh like landfall uh synergies. Uh mm. there were also some like Awaken was also kind of a cool mechanic. Yeah. Uh so like you could build pretty easily a Zendikar themed you know, it's kind of like a cube in a sense, but it's more like a cube where the packs are, you know, actually randomly generated, you know, based on, you know, commons and uncommons and rares, you know, and whatnot. Uh, imagine if imagine if Ruinous Path was an instant. How cool that um, the um, mechanic would have been. Yeah, I mean, just stuff like that. Like, you know, you that that would be like a cool. Kind Here of a neat, neat draft format or, or awaken. Sorry, yeah, um, yeah. Ruinous Path. For those who don't know, one, two black, sorcery speed. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. So a sorcery speed version of Hero's Downfall, but it had awaken uh, five and two black. Uh, so you put four counters on target land you control and becomes zero zero elemental haste still land and i think that's probably why look looking at this just get another look uh years later because they were giving that creature haste you would kill like their blocker then attack with the four four yeah the mana but 
they would have made this an instant. Maybe the Awaken didn't have haste. Kill an attacking creature, block, use your land to block another. And from a troll standpoint, that would have been pretty sweet. Yeah. That was, um, I think Awaken would, every uh, Awaken ability gave haste, anyways. Yeah. It didn't matter uh, because it was part of the ability. Yeah. Uh, it kind of had to. Uh, honestly, because um, they learned a lesson from cards like Cough the Hammer. Yeah. Where, you know, you would accidentally misclick your land you just played with Cough of the Hammer and go, why mm. can't I attack? Oh, that's right. <laughs> it has summoning sickness. And Cough, oh. it, cough never granted haste, so. Um. But that, w- that would be kind of cool. I could see it. Like you, There was a lot of really cool uh, landfall stuff in the original Zendikar and I'm trying to think like allies could be like a thing oh yeah in that kind of because allies were pretty pronounced in Battle for Zendikar and Oath of the Gatewatch too yes so uh, like cohort could also kind of be a thing even though it was kind of bad Uh, I don't know got crushed by an allies deck back uh, in uh, I think it was right when Rise of Eldrazi came out Uh, there was this Allies aggro deck, and it just blew me away. Um, Barney still has like an, a modern Allies deck that he works on. And it's it's pretty fast. Actually, I got it. I got it. Actually, wait, wait, wait. I got it. Uh, Ravnica. Ooh. Like you've got like how many sets got, to play from? You got nine sets. Yeah. So like, holy cow! You could build hey, like on. the ultimate remastered set. What's just the average amount of cards in a modern master set? How many are there? Uh, I don't know. I, I think it would be more uh, easier to uh, put this more in perspective to try and look and see how many cards, uh, excuse me, uh, that Tempest Remastered had. Okay. And because that was a thing. Let me look here. See, what I'm thinking about is whatever that card count is, if we do Ravnica, you got to take 37 off the top because those are all your Planeswalkers from War of the Spark. Uh, it had the set size for uh, Tempest Remastered was 269 cards. Nice. Uh, and, and it was uh, 15 Mythics, 53 Rares, 80 Uncommons, and 20 Basic Lands. So... You could probably pretty easily build a set within that confines, yeah. uh, you know, of you know some of the best hits of Ramnica, and still maintain like the guild identity. Oh, absolutely! Uh, you know, uh, and that would be it's pretty cool. More birds for Azurius. Like, just give me Sphinx's Revelation verdict. Yeah, yeah. Oh. You don't Dang. include things like reinforce. Or not? Was oh, yeah. it reinforce, or was it? I can't remember. Uh, forecast was there? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The original oh, guild wow. mechanic for Azorius. So you wouldn't obviously include like forecast or anything like that, but like detain, you know, makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, um, addendum makes sense. You know, to for Azorius, uh, you're probably not going to include cards with dredge. Uh, but, but scavenge, you know, made a lot of sense. Not include cards with dredge. Yeah, maybe. Unless this is going to be for something like if you do it for historic. Yeah, I don't think dredge is going to be. They call it the storm scare, but it's really the dredge scale. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, now, now it's going to be called the companion scale after this. Just oh, watch. Please. <laughs> These things have to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, yeah. That's the way to do it, especially if they if if they can do it. See, here's the thing, right? We have this thing called Magic Arena. They can do it in a way to where you have a paper product and an arena product at the same time. It's the same thing. Oh man, the gold mine. They could print uh, Innistrad remastered or whatever. And would be injecting just those cards into historic on arena, also at the same time fueling paper play for modern. Right. Eventually, they will have enough build up to where it's like, hmm, right out, erase historic, right modern, save, and there you go, you're good. Right. Yeah. Uh, Unfor- yeah, unfortunately, like Tempest Remaster, I think kind of like pause to do stuff like it. But I, I did hear, like I said, that they were going to be doing the Enquete thing for okay. Arena. And I think that's cool. Uh, those are yeah. cards that definitely, you know, should probably be in the historic format. Uh, oh. Whatever the historic format really is. I, oh. mean, I, I, I don't really know. I don't really play Arena. So. <laughs> oh, Joe, Joe. <laughs> what is what's historic <laughs> approach of the second sun uh yeah that's true yeah that's a card that could probably get put in there i did see that they were going to be putting in uh ulamog the ceaseless hunger yeah uh, and phyrexian obliterator and i and i saw ulamog and i said you know that seems like a great idea in a format that includes the card's growth spiral <laughs> right. uh, i mean my well imagine Give us Trollos and Golos. Oh, like. it is legal and uh, Field of Ruin or no, Field, I mean, uh, Field, Field of Dead. Dead. Yeah, it's legal again. Or the Your Dead. I've heard. I've heard that the format is basically Field of the Dead. Like, uh, I'm just like cool. Uh, that might be the only saving grace for me wanting to. Because I actually Field of the Dead. I, I know some people didn't, but I thought that deck was cool and standard when it was around for like a month. <laughs> Before they banned it. <laughs> Think, oh wait, isn't isn't uh Ugin the Spear Dragon in historic? Is it? Is it really? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. I, I don't think Still, so. Still Ugin the Ineffable is. Uh yeah, Ugin the Ineffable. Uh, and you have uh Karn the Great Creator. Right there, there's three pieces of Tron. So you just now need like the Tron lands or or heck, just just put locusts. Put the the locust lands in uh, okay. historic. That's fine, right? Yeah, they st- they haven't released yet. Like, I think they were, they had a thing uh, listed where they were going to put well uh, what, what concert creators or whatever were getting historic uh, pr- previews because they were gonna it's gonna be like another one of those anthology. Yeah. So that's where they add like like what fifteen twenty cards or something like that to a story. Like that, yeah, and and on yeah. that list they they misspelled the Astrolab podcast. I I don't know how they did it. They, uh, they it. and it's fine. That's whatever. Um, right, maybe next time. Probably not because okay. I blasted Blake a moment ago. <laughs> oh, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. I, I only complain because I care. Yeah, yep. Uh, I mean, sure. 
<laughs> on myself though. So. Yeah. So yeah. So you said Innistrad, I said Ravnica. Uh those are both pretty good uh yeah. ideas. Uh that would be kind of fun. Uh so one other thing I did get to do this week, uh I wanted to talk a little bit, uh, is I did get to uh download and finally read the Icoria uh ebook. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the the storyline for Icoria. You read uh, more of these things than than I do. Yeah, uh, I'm a pretty big Worthos, as most people know uh, about me. Uh, so I just I got a chance to sit down and read it. Uh, mainly, I wanted to read it because uh, so I'm friends with uh, Nat Mose. Uh, a lot of people might know who Nat is uh, from the fact that he actually worked on partial design uh, for Modern Horizons uh and he worked for wizards at that time and um, nat is the head of uh the team serious group that i'm i I kind of affiliated with that's out of columbus and cleveland area and uh nat is um uh a editor you know a you know book editor slash you know he's an editor a person that edits you know words that sort of thing much better editor than me you know that sort of thing uh he's great at great editor uh so he actually did edit work uh for uh sundered bond which is the name of the ikoria ebook uh and so he and i were talking about it and i said well i'll pull it down and i'll check it out and i'll see if your editing was any good (laughs) and sure enough it was fine yeah i mean it was there was nothing wrong with the editing in that book uh but uh it was very good uh they Definitely approached it really well. Uh, it's a very interesting story. Uh, it's kind of short, uh, but like so was the ebook for uh, Throne of Eldraine. Uh, that one was a little short as well. Uh, the Wildered Quest. Uh, but there's no book for Theros, right? No, they said they were going to be putting one out at some point. Uh, I think what happened is, yeah, as everybody knows, there was that whole. Uh, you know, drama slash, you know, issues with War of the Spark Forsaken. Yes. Uh, and that, I think, kind of put them into a... They, they actually did officially say somewhere that it did kind of put them in a position where they were not sure about releasing stuff for Theros, like story for Theros. And I was like, oh, well, that's... Wow. Okay. So they they are going to be doing something at some point, is from what I understand. Well, it would be uh, nice if you kind of get some wins with the, the books and the novels. I mean, I remember back when you could go buy a, a fat pack and a novel came included with it. So you could, it promoted reading like a, a, a card game, a collectible card game aimed at those 13 and plus promoting reading fiction. Like, I don't think that the, ha- I, that, right? I don't think having the books per set was really long-term feasible though like they did it for as long as they could but i think at some point like it got a lot less feasible especially as people have migrated more to a world with books those young and just ruining everything i mean i mean i still read physical books but i read a lot of ebooks too books online making these things called podcasts and stuff talking to people in person i mean <laughs> but uh I, I just don't I don't think it was I don't think it was long term feasible for them to keep doing those those books especially as big as those books were. 
I mean, those books were pretty large for just one set. Uh, I read the entirety of every series that they've put out in that regards from all the way up until when they stopped, which was basically there wasn't a book for Innistrad. Uh, I think the last book, it was before Zendikar that they stopped at. Okay. Because there, there was, because they didn't do one for Alara. There was one book for Alara. And that was it. There wasn't like one book for Alara, one book for Conflux, for, you know, Alara Reborn or whatever, like they used to do. You know, they did. The content was just like online stories, like on their website, right? Uh, they did. They migrated to that at some point. Uh, and that was after Theros. Okay. Actually, yeah, after Theros is when they kind of went to this, um, this whole doing things in that realm yeah doing things where they had you know content online especially like uh was really big on that they had a lot of great content online from from karns to konzatark here era uh and that was where they got like the really cool stories like from like allison lures uh where they had like you know the stories about like alesha uh things about narset yeah uh, that sort of thing uh and then again they went then they kind of waffled a little bit back and forth on how they were going to be doing that. And then they eventually, they still continue doing online stories through core 2019. Uh, but then like the stories that they started doing for like guilds of Ravnica, Ravnica legions and whatnot were all kind of small individual stories about individual guilds and not really kind of connected to the overall storyline. Yeah, that was a little weird. But uh, most I, I I can't utterly complain about this because they were actually most of those were actually really good. Uh, it's just that they were presented in a context that people didn't really get. Uh, so I think that was probably the issue with those. But I think the content of those was excellent from a Vorthos standpoint. But I think, but then they went to you know releasing actual books again with War of the Spark, War of the Spark Forsaken. So releasing ebooks. I think ebooks is probably going to be where they're going to stay for a while. They're uh, a little late on the ebook market, aren't they? A little bit, yeah. But I, it's fine. Like they're they'll find their stride eventually. I hope. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, I, and it seems like the direction for Ikoria was really good in that respects, as far as the creative direction. Um, so basically, uh, the book focuses on, uh, the character of Luca, who is one of the planeswalkers that were introduced to in right. Ikoria, but it takes place before he becomes a planeswalker. Uh, so, that way you have so, like yeah. a little bit of a background or whatever. Right. Uh, and so basically Luca is, you know, he's, he lives in this city in Ikoria, the biggest city in, in Ikoria, which is uh, Dranith, uh, which is, you know, the the most well-defended uh, of the human sanctuary. Uh, they know how to kill monsters. They know, you know, how to protect their home from, you know, monster attacks, that sort of thing. They wear little crystal pins that, you know, kind of alert them to monsters uh, around. And he's part of this special group of, you know, got people that you know, hunt down bad monsters that come in and that are hard for the regular soldiers to take care of. Uh, and so we kind of get a lot of background on him 
and uh, how he kind of ends up becoming a planeswalker by the end of the book. Uh, and then, of course, that we also get to see uh, Vivian Reed for the first time since War of the Spark. And um, Vivian is excellent. They did a really good job with her. Uh, she was very, very calm and collected. Uh, it seems like she has learned a lot from since War of the Spark. Okay. Uh, and especially in regards to how she... And uh, so basically she feels it's her responsibility even though she even though so the gatewatch exists and all blah blah blah, blah whatever, it's clear that she's not officially part of the gatewatch she's all on her own doing her own yeah. thing uh but she does believe that you know hey i have this ability to walk between worlds uh i should and i want to use it to uh make sure that other people like me you know aren't doing bad stuff to other worlds basically She's kind of gotten this. I want to preserve. And it's kind of like she's kind of like the mono green planeswalker. Uh, and so she's kind of preserving natural order or whatever. Hunting down and, and trying to figure out what other planeswalkers are doing. If they're doing bad things on other planes. If she hears about it, she's going to go investigate it to find out and, and stop them. Basically. So she is the only planeswalker that you get to like interact with in the book as far as actually being part of the action that sort of thing there is like a brief moment where you do see narset but you're not really told it's her you're just kind of like given this description and it's you're pretty clear it's her but you know it's not by name because the character it's from the point of view of doesn't know anything about planeswalkers or anything like that it's just this it's the general's daughter uh jarina kudrow and so she's like on, she's in Skysail, which is the, the flying city that's around the Ikoria. And um, she notices this interesting looking woman who is picking volumes and books out of this person's stall and pay. And she, she buys them from this vendor and walks off carrying a giant stack of books in perfect balance or something like that. <laughs> it's a really cute, it's a, it's a really cute nod. You're like, Oh yeah, that's Narset. Cool. <laughs> like, so, but yeah, it's, it's kind of short. But uh, Django Rexler, who was the guy who did the oncoming storm stuff, which was the prequel novel stuff for War of the Spark, they did a he did a really good job with it. So I was really happy. Uh, I was just I'm looking forward. To, I, I kind of wanted more. That was my only complaint. <laughs> See, and that's really the mark of any good storytelling, in my opinion, is. And you're done you want more oh yeah yeah so it was it was fantastic so good uh, they, they, they need a win they they need a win in the book book with those type of departments especially as of late yeah yeah absolutely like i said they they just it just they did a really good job it was it, they did a good job with explaining what the world was what was going on you know they some cool monster fights, you know, stuff going on there. Uh, you know, different kind explaining the different kinds of monsters that exist uh on Ikoria, that sort of thing. Uh so yeah, it was cool. So maybe all the brainstorming they did to build Ikoria helped them out with this. Well, don't talk about brainstorm. Yeah, <laughs> Oakland did. 
Uh, I don't want to talk about Brainstorm. <laughs> it's on the show notes. <laughs> I know it is. I've talked about it all day. All right. So, Play more Legacy than I do. Yeah. Should I it be banned? Probably. <laughs> that's the, that's the uh, unfortunate thing. It's, yeah, probably should. Uh, but, you know, the, the problem is that it would require Wizards to be looking at Legacy from a standpoint of uh, format support and a, from a standpoint mm-hmm. of them treating it from a competitive level. Right. And unfortunately, we have to obviously admit that that's never going to happen again. Uh, you know, we had Legacy on that one Pro Tour, which was because it was a team event Pro Tour. Uh, the twenty fifth anniversary. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, if they weren't going to ban it for that, because you know that would be kind of silly. Uh, but <laughs> you know, they they're not supporting the format anymore. Really, we all we all know that even if there is going to be, you know, Magic Fest this year. Which you know, even that's up in the air, yeah, uh, because of you know coronavirus and everything. Uh, but even if there are, there's probably not going to be a legacy GP. You gotta uh, say it like you gotta say it like Cardi B, coronavirus. <laughs> no, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, you know, for them to really want to make that kind of change to the format, they're gonna have to, you know, really treat it that way. And honestly, I honestly believe Wizards probably just considers that it's fun. You know, yeah, if it was printed today, it'd be like, uh, this card's really dumb. And they'd probably be like, hey, this should be really banned. And we would get banned by modern sensibilities. Uh, But, and and, and I get that, like, that's a hard argument. It's a hard argument. Tensions top. uh, Because the the alternative side of things is, you know, whether or not, you know, we should give old cards passes is really like the big thing like that people will bring up like, well you know we shouldn't give this old card a pass but this new card not a not a pass because it we shouldn't ban this one and not ban this one because they're you know the same or whatever uh, blah 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 you know they're seeing the same amount of play and it's hard to say that because like I'm, I'm a big believer in formats feeling unique for various reasons uh oh, yeah. and, and people you know I've I've heard some people say, well, you know, format identity is just kind of being complacent with the format. I'm like, well, maybe, but like that's because more than one person, you know, a bunch of people have decided that they want the format to feel like this. Uh, you know, you play modern for a reason, you know, for various reasons, you know, of why you like the format, uh, because the format feels a certain way. You play legacy because the format feels a certain way. You play vintage because it feels a certain way. You know. Uh, so I, I would like to think so that they feel certain ways, but we've talked before where, well, before it got like invalidated from the legacy format that the modern version of blue, white stone blade and the legacy version of that pretty identical. Like there are yeah. few cards here and there brainstorm, of course, being one of them, but you know, the, they, they mirror each other so much. Right. Uh, and heck, even the, Standard Stoneblade deck kind of mirrored the modern the modern version of the deck a little bit. But yeah, it's just I, I can't I can't see a world where there's no brainstorming legacy because players will quit playing blue because ponder sorcery speed. That's what'll happen. Instead I mean, people might just end up quitting. You're playing, out. playing legacy. 
Right. I mean, that's just a, it's a no sad plain, reality. It's no playing opt or portent. Is that instant speed? Portent is um, sorcery speed. Sorcery speed. Okay. Yeah. Is it instant? Yeah, yeah. No. Either way, still, instead of trying to look at the available card pool, which is a lot larger than modern, I will quit. Kind of like what happened when uh, a Jetaxian probe was banned in modern. All the infect players disappeared. Oh, yeah. We played Hello Kitty Island Adventure or some other game. Animal Crossing? They could not get their free win. <laughs> um, they, they all just quit. And it's like, but all pierces in your deck? Because we're trying to use our removal at sorcery speed to get you use your pump spells. Right. Cards in your deck to validate those moves and take your turn and kill us. Right. And they're like, well, no, I can't see your hand and draw a card, so I'm I'm not going to play this deck. I'm going to sell my cards. Wait, yeah, wait. I mean, I I feel like that players would probably quit Legacy. Yeah. There are people that would could, quit play Legacy because they couldn't play Brainstorm. And, and honestly, I mean, I've cast enough Brainstorms myself to understand why. Yeah. Uh, then the card is actually fun to cast. It is uh, you know you you draw mean, three cards. Yeah, and put two back, and then you get to fetch them away. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, and that does feel, and, and, and honestly, that's really the biggest, like, thing about the card that makes it so egregious is the fact that fetch lands exist. And like, right. you know, we, that's, and again, those two kind of go hand in hand. They're probably never, ever going to do anything to either of those cards. Uh, so like, yeah, it's, it's okay to have, this is a, a conversation I had earlier on my article comments earlier because i kind of talked about this earlier uh but you know it's it's okay to have the conversation to say you know hey you know yeah this card's kind of busted and you know yes we shouldn't give old cards a pass but at the same time you know you're gonna run around in circles eventually on the the conversation right Uh, there's not much new information to disseminate about the fact that this card probably should be banned, but it won't be. Uh, and so that's kind of like, it's kind of hard to continue to have those discussions. Uh, at some point you kind of get tired of it and you're just like, all right, well, yeah, I don't know what to tell you because, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to tell you that I, I like playing with the card, so I don't want them to ban it. Like, and that's typically how most of us feel about the card is we all like playing it, so <laughs> we don't want them to ban it. Yes, we know. We're all aware that it's pretty dumb. Right. Uh, you know, to because it's, you know, when you're fetching, it's practically Ancestral Recall. Oh. <laughs> when we touched on that a little bit, now I want to kind of like turn in on that for a moment. How many times do we come across a problem card? In this case, well, I'm not going to say Brainstorm's a problem card legacy, but a card that's perceived as a problem. And people think that card or, or set of cards is the problem. It's not the case. It's actually something else. It's the yeah. fact that you could fetch away crap you don't want, then have a fresh new cards at the top. It's the same thing that happened when um, uh, Battle for Zendikar was in standard. Everybody was complaining, myself included, about the four-color meme deck name, the bad deck names later. Uh that were running around standard, but it wasn't the fetch lands that were the problem. It was the fact that Wizards of the Coast was once again trying to print fetchable dual lands right? standard. Those cards were the problem. I really think those cards, your um, 
Adelands, where you want to call them, that may have been them trying to find ways to put on shock duels into standard to get people to stop playing the ABU duels. Yeah, um, I don't know. It just it's it's it was kind of weird. Like they they were pretty close on that that one, I think. Yeah, it, it's not necessarily a card that is perceived as a problem, or is, or is causing the problem. It's maybe something else that's happening that one's looking at because if you look at uh the prairie stream and flooded strand right? people look at it like well they're both rare but flooded strand is x dollars more so that's the problem in this case it's like brainstorm it draws three cards the fetch land just gets a land now that the fetch land's the problem in that scenario Yes, because it, it's it's taking away the crap. It's shuffling that back in. Knowing me, I'm probably just going to draw it anyway after I'm done shuffling. And <laughs> um, I've done that before. Yeah, I, I don't know. I brainstorm's fine. I understand the concerns where people are like, "Well, I can't build another deck or a deck without blue." Yes, punishing Jun fans are still out here. We hear your cry. No, I mean I, the thing is, is like. Uh, you know, who was it? Uh, Matthew Voke, uh, who is uh, arguably probably one of the better uh, non-blue legacy players uh, that exists. I mean, he he literally won the format championships uh, in legacy uh, playing four color line. Uh, and I mean, was that with Oko? I don't remember, but I mean. Yeah. Even then, even if you are playing blue for Oko, you're not really playing blue. So if you know what I mean, like yeah, Oko yeah. needs to go go. Yeah, but you know what? Like it, that's the thing. Like you're not, you're still not playing blue. You know, no. yeah, with Loam. Like even if you're playing a blue card like Oko or even Uro or whatever, you're not playing blue. What people perceive as blue and like right. you're not you're not playing brainstorm you're not playing ponder you're playing force of will and he made a post on twitter that was basically kind of like that same thing like or it was a very just like you know you have to understand that like you know the always play blue perspective you know and legacy is not always true you know brainstorm is actually you know pretty it's pretty it's it's up there but it has waxed and waned up and down uh, throughout the past couple of years of playability in the format in terms of how much meta percentage it takes up. Right. Uh, and I mean, we've seen it as low as below, f- you know, 50%, you know, in some areas. And now it's, it gets back above 50% uh, now. But like, you know, there are plenty of decks in Legacy that don't play. Uh, and you don't need to play blue to be competitive. Uh, you know, the showcase qualifier, uh, which... Wizards of the Coast is still yet to publish results for. They ever will. I am shocked. No, uh, and it wasn't just that one. It was it was all of them. All of the showcase yeah. qualifiers didn't get published. Uh, but the the legacy one, the legacy showcase qualifier event, uh, was won uh, by uh, Elves, uh, and it was by a good friend of mine, uh, Newton Hang, uh, who won uh, on Elves. And uh, I mean, Elves is arguably the best it's been in a long time right now. Uh, and is it that's with, is it with Loris though? 
So uh, I actually really like elves has adopted Luris in a sense. It's weird. So elves with Luris is actually your main deck plan is not Luris. So your main deck plan is your typical elves plan, you know, uh, Ghost of Nature, uh, Crater Hoof, Archon of Valor's Reach, that sort of thing. Uh, but there are certain matchups like the Delver matchup and a couple other matchups where uh, you want to cut those cards because they're just not castable and not and, and you're not even like natural order is hard to cast because of soft counter magic uh, and that sort of thing. Put Crater Hoof in your deck anyway with Loris unless you can wish for it from the sideboard or something. Well, so you can if you don't declare Loris as a as a as your companion. You could have Loris in your sideboard and not declare it as your companion for game one and have Crater Hoof and Archon. But then okay. post board games, you can bo- board out Crater Hoof and board out Archon uh, and board out whatever else you need to board out and alert and, and, and companion. Oh. So you get kind of this weird, cool post board game towards the Delver decks. Kind of have a a grindier advantage game uh, by being able to replay your cards from the graveyard because they're just that's what they're going to be doing. They're going to be attacking your cards, uh, and so yeah. you just kind of outgrind them, essentially. Game one, I do not have to declare a companion. You don't. No. Game two, I can declare a companion as long as you meet the, as long as you oh meet the requirements. God. They need to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's. It's dumb. The fact that you could take the rules of magic and just apply them whenever and however you want. It's, I understand the gamesmanship of it and all that, but yeah, it, I think it's actually. I think it actually is pretty clever. Uh, sure. Yeah, I I was not expecting it, and I I saw it for the first time, and uh, Newton was talking about it, and I was like, that's actually pretty super clever to adapt yeah. in that scenario to a batch-up that's typically pretty bad. you know. But still, we add this to the list of things figured out with a new set before we get it in paper. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you know, also, um, it's, it's interesting because the, the other reason that Elves is doing so well right now is because a lot of people are on... Uh, so it was Newton planned well. He planned for Delver. Because Delver's the the deck that everybody's playing, but everybody's playing with Loris. What does that mean? Well, everybody's playing Loris. Every mean that means everybody is playing with permanents that are CMC two or less. Wait. What does that mean? That means that they're not playing cards like Plague Engineer, right? And so a tribal deck is arguably much better position uh, against these Delver decks, like Elves, because Elves is a really cool combo deck in a sense. Uh, but you know it's going to arguably do very well because they're not playing that one card that really really hurts them, which is Plague Engineer. Plague Engineer really really hurts the trap ton like elves. Yeah, because so, unlike the modern deck, there's no lords, right? Uh, the Legacy Elves deck, right? Because because uh, Legacy Elves isn't a aggro deck; it's a it's a combo deck, uh, and it is arguably. Uh, talking to a couple of friends of mine and i'm i'm friends with a couple of like i said i'm friends with newton uh friends with jack kendall who's also a really 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 elves player 
mm-hmm. and elves is arguably like the hardest deck in the format to play <laughs> and to play well. I can see that. Uh, because there's so much intricacy to every line in the deck that you're just like, you could have to see uh, several turns ahead to be able to play that deck. Like, it's just yeah. so wildly. And, but when you when you watch somebody that's like really good at the deck playing it, you're like, oh man, <laughs> like this looks unbeatable. Like, and then you try to play it yourself and you're like, why am I not winning? Right. <laughs> I cast watch- limps and I'm drawing cards. I'm doing a blue thing in green. Right. Guys. Why no. am I? Why am I losing? Oh, yeah, because you got to really watch what those guys do, and uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's a hard duck, but it's it's certainly a lot of fun, and that's what I said. He he planned well. Is basically he he did what any good player does when it comes to adjusting to his meta game. You know, he he chose to adjust for specifically for Delver because he knew that that was what everybody was going to be playing, and it worked out for him really well. <laughs> so, oh, you know what's not worked out real well? What's that? Pioneer. Yeah, uh, I have that on my list here. Uh, we were going to talk about that. Pioneer, um, aka Splinter Twin, can die in a fire. <laughs> so um, here, so here's my here's my tinfoil, uh, and it's it's real bad. It's the worst take ever. I know. Uh, but wait, Joe, is it a worst take or is it a? Uh, the headline on a Star City Games article. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, so my so my 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 take is the joke take is uh, that Wizards for the longest time has heard the players' concerns about Splinter Twin and Modern, about unbanning Twin, freeing Twin. So they created Pioneer as a way that you could play Twin in like three or four, and now you just have Twin the format. Um. Uh, I mean, there's like what three or four different in the format, like yeah, you know, inverter uh, was inverter like Helia Ballista, uh, Garuda is also occasionally a, a twin because it wins on like turn four, right? Uh, so, but they all win on like turn four, like turn turn four to turn five because like I think was it uh, inverter gets like the weirdest pass because it wins on turn, but it doesn't until turn five technically because it has to cast inverter and then it has to pass the turn. And then it has to cast Thassa's Oracle. And that is the one thing about that inverter deck that I will say. Like, those games are not the okay, 50 minute match in 15 minutes, the next 35 minutes, complaining the next round hasn't started. <laughs> majority of grinders that play Pioneer and Modern. You know, you, you need to be uh, Rando, uh, Randy Macho Man Savage against Spider Man in that uh, first Spider Man film. yeah yeah so it's i I don't i don't understand how the the format kind of went that at in december but i think really what did it was um theros really Uh, just kind of upset the format uh because if you look at everything that came in there you know we had heliod coming theros we had underworld breach coming theros we had thassa's oracle coming theros Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all just like super powerful cards that kind of just really upset the format. Um, I, I know some people still have fun with it. Like, I mean, I'm sure Inverter is probably a lot of fun to play uh, because it's a kind of a neat, like half control, half combo deck. Eh, you know, yeah, I'm sure that's... Yeah, there, there's some tempo elements or whatever. And then, yeah, six, six. It is cool that, uh, that Inverter of Truth is seeing play. I mean, 
take a look at it. it's two black black. It's devoid. Of yeah, lying. It comes into play. Exile your exile your library and take your graveyard, and that becomes your library. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was such a weird card at the time. Well, it, it's it's a design off Abyssal Persecutor, something like you know, we're one of those kinds of cards that does similar. It was, it was from Zendikar, where it's like you can't win the game and you can't lose the game, but it was right. a flying black creature for four. Right, like I could see what they were doing with the design. They're trying to find another angle to use those words, and, and that was cool. But has these people out there who are like, I'm playing this six six. I'm a control deck. Like, no, you're not. You are not a control deck. <laughs> it, it, it's a combo control. Twin players. It's like I'm playing control. You are not a control player. Get out of here. It, it's it's essentially a tempo control shell. With is basically uh, the the uh, the exact determination of it. Yeah, you can't yeah. doom. Well, no, you can doom blade in uh, inverter truth because it's you can black. Yeah, yeah. It okay. doesn't really matter if you do it. I mean, they cast it. They did its job. Yeah, yeah, it uh, did. Uh, you, you have know. to find some way to get rid of uh, particular cards in their graveyard, like any type of Thassa's oracles and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, so it, it's it is what it is. Like the formats, I I, I played for a while. I was playing Fires uh, of Dimension, uh, and like that seemed kind of fun. But now I'm looking at the deck list, going, "This is too slow for." The yeah, like there's no way I could play this deck. But now. see, the thing is, it's the grinders. It, they're the ones that fall. Because here's what happened: Pioneers, this new format. Wow, we want to play it. We want to break it. We want to find all the crazy things we could do with this. This is exciting. I mean, that was kind of the point, though. Yeah, but the, then it's the SpongeBob. You know. It's like eight months later. Oh, well, I mean, this format's awful. Well, yeah, you, you set out what you wanted to do. You broke it. You, well, this is your mess. Lay think, in your bed. I think, arguably, though, like the format was actually kind of fine, though, in, in December. Uh, sure. Yeah, you know, like the, as far as like they had reached kind of an equilibrium where things, uh, because you know that was what they had set out to do, uh, and then they had some cool decks like Mono Black Aggro was still kind of like a cool deck, even though they had you know banned all the best cards out of it, like you know they banned Smuggler's Copter, uh, and whatnot, and and it made uh you know Mono Black Aggro a little weaker, like it was still kind of a neat deck, uh, and there was like even like that Mono Black. Like vampires version. Oh yeah, you know, with uh, played Soren. Yeah, and that yeah. was cool. That deck was neat. It was something else. I was like, oh, dude, they just like dropped like a a big freaking like uh you know vampire and on my face uh you know off of a Soren activation. That's uh, Twilight that's Shepherd or something. Twilight, yeah. yeah, yeah, the the yeah the one that uh, ascends and does like the Bob effect. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. That was cool. That deck was neat. Okay. You know, and you know they had banned all the green stuff. Arguably, you know, they you know needed to. That's uh, broken. <laughs> uh, you know, that, and and that's kind of funny because you know, argue there's some people that I've been talking to that have said, you know, I wonder if like with the power boost from uh, Theros and you know Ikoria, I wonder if it's just possible that we could just unban Oko. 
in this format and see if it actually does anything. <laughs> and I'm like, God, wow, no. that's that frightens me to think that that might actually be something that could be good for the format. You know, right. that's weird. But, uh, you know, it could possibly be a thing. You know, you never know. So I don't know. I, 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 I just I, I think really what did it was Theros. I think Theros print the, the Theros printings really, really, really boosted the power format a lot. Which is weird yeah. because like when you talk about that set, I'm like um not necessarily a finance standpoint, but from like well it's done at a store level. There are people that, that work at stores like, eh, it's it's okay. It's not a dominary. Right, yeah, and it wasn't whatever. It wasn't really, but yeah. they but they did print some really ultra powerful stuff in that set, yeah. uh, and you know, and obviously, you know, <laughs> you know, they printed a card that got banned a month and a half in Legacy, <laughs> yep. you know, Underworld Breach, uh, it and, and Breach is really powerful in Pioneer, yeah. uh, you know, so that's a deck that Lotus Breach deck. Uh, but and, then, and like, the card's dangerous because the more cheap spells they print, because you know they're going to, you know, whatever our level or set twenty twenty one is, right. it's already locked in. That's that's printed and boxed and say next to the Ark of the Covenant. Um, more that they print cheap cards, the better Underworld Breach is going to be, and it will have to be addressed eventually. Oh yeah, I mean, honestly, I think they should addressing fossils or. Uh, I think that card is probably more egregious. Uh, and that scares me because it's just a creature, but you know, but it's a creature that has a really easily fulfillable win condition. Right. Uh, you know, obviously, because, you know, Inverter of Truth and, you know, a Lotus Breach deck plays it too. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's just a card. You take away the win condition for a Lotus Breach. Like if Lotus Breach did, arguably has to find a different way to win. And I think that may be fine, just simply big for a while, simply because it has to find like a better way. That's it's not as clear cut of an easy win as cast my thoughts Oracle from the graveyard. I have zero cards in library. I win the game. Yeah, you know. So I they think that like a Jeskai ascendancy type build or something. Right. Yeah. It'll something will be something. out there. Yeah, and I think and that's easier to interact with. Yes. You know, whereas Thassa's Oracle is kind of hard to interact. You have to really uh, either have, you know, counter magic strike right immediately up and being able to deal with it then and there, or, you know, they're just going to wait till you're tapped out. You know, what, what they'll do but, is they'll print a card, they'll say, which uh, libraries between two players till, <laughs> until current end of turn or something. That way, when this is Oracle triggers. Oh, wait, I still got 40 cards. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they'll ever. No. But then also, like, uh, the other one, you know, was really, you know, contentious when it came, when Theros came out was Heliod. You know, and we had just come off of, you know, the very first banning in you know, Pioneer was Felidargar. You know, and because we were all scared about Catcom from, you know, that era of magic being just insanely good and of course cat combo was just absolutely insane and uh i think they just that people were like look like this is basically cat combo we're not okay with cat combo we shouldn't be okay with this and uh yeah sure 
they you don't know? they don't it's... test they don't even test for standard anymore. I think what they do is they design a set, play just that set, and if it's good enough, they ship it. We are the beta beta testers, including for standard. That's possible. I don't know. It's if that's the case, that is it's garbage. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very irresponsible of them to do that. And sure, we could talk about layer this and neat little thing here and other ancillary stuff here. If your primary product, because their goal is to have people like you and me who want to play older formats, want us to play the new set all the time. If their mission of doing that is putting out cards that are pushed that shape all of our formats, that, that's wrong. The, the power level is way too damn high. Yeah. Give me a standard that's going to be fun and play just standard. We'll play standard on occasion and a little bit or whatever. That won't be right. my primary format. Give me that RTR to Theros standard. That was fun. Powerful. It was great. The stuff, give me. Approach the second sun. Hacking right. the mono red aggro deck during Amonkhet was kind of cool. You got to play, um, oh god, I'm blanking on the, the red god Hazret. Yeah, yeah, you got to play Hazret. That card was sweet because you had to meet certain conditions in order for it to attack. So you had to pay attention to other things than turn your opponent's face, attack with creatures. Right. Yeah, that just, yeah, before that for standard. Yeah, I um, I I mean, I would like to play Pioneer. That's the thing. Like, and there there are obviously things I like about uh the era of cards that they chose for Pioneer uh, that I would like to play. Like, you know, again, I think that even as egregious as it is in standard right now, uh, I like Fires of Invention as a card very much. My God, that's uh, <laughs> not get better all the time. I like that card a lot. Uh, and I really like the Planeswalker uh, versions of it, and I like Feya Wishes. Uh, and I just, I think it's just a really neat deck. Uh, We're using the new Narset, like playing Fires of Invention, playing the new Narset, using her minus two, and pitching extra copy of a Cavalier or even a Fires of Invention to kill an opposing creature. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's some fun, powerful stuff. I have a feeling that Fires of Invention that that, that can wind up bleeding into modern and breaking. It's kind of yeah. already there. What there's like a uh, an extra turn deck with. I think we talked about this before. Extra turn yeah, deck with extra um, turn deck. yeah with Ren and Six and Time Warps and Mystic Sanctuaries and Fires of Invention. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. Um, I, I just I just think I I like the design of. The- uh, I just think it's a, a fun card, uh, and like now, like they've got what they've got now is what the the Yorion ones now that in yeah, standard, yeah, they have a Yorion version, which I haven't really looked at yet. I have a I have a Karuga build now on Arena, in my account whenever I fire up Arena and I just want to play some games. I will uh, play this five four draw like three or four cards. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty dumb. Uh, I also have stacks built occasionally when I decide I want to play stacks. Because okay. I think Doom Foretold is like the coolest card. It's <laughs> pretty sweet. I, I ran to a player who was playing like a Mardu Foretold deck. And I That's wish, cool. 
wish I could communicate to them like what is your deck list because I am a I'm I'm a sucker for Mardu. I I don't yeah. know why. I don't know what. Maybe it was because I saw Nahiri the Harbinger and fell in love and thought oh, I just add a little black here and oh my god, this is a we could do this. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe because uh, Kalia the Vast was my first commander. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm I kind of got a soft spot for Mardu. Yeah, that sounds kind of cool. I, I I like it. Yeah. I just I like I like I like stacksy stuff so too so like mm-hmm. uh, seeing them having a, a legitimate stacks deck and like standard was like oh cool like there's yeah. an actual like stacks deck uh, and I think I I updated it a little bit I put in a couple cards uh, from uh, like not not just like from like Theros like I put a couple cards in from Theros like a couple of the sagas because oh. uh, those like Birth of Miletus and um, Metamice Prophecy were pretty good mm-hmm. uh, in that deck. Although I probably should be running Omen this season deck some somewhere because that seems like way better. Are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, uh, sea Ordain. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't know. Uh, it's it seems it, it seems like a cool deck. Uh, I also really like the design of Dance of the Mans. I think a card is really wildly interesting. It is. Uh, it makes you really think, especially like late game when you need to like cast one that's like a value play, not even just like, oh, I'm not even going to make a board of creatures out of this, but I'm going to get back like three things, but I have to make it cost CMC four because the thing I want to get back is Doom Foretold. <laughs> so you're like, I'm going to draw t- two cards and get back like, uh, you know, or draw, draw three cards and get back a Doom Foretold here, but I still have to pay six to do it. <laughs> Yeah. And you're so. playing with your graveyard with card types that you normally don't play uh mess around with your graveyard with artifacts and enchantments right that that is kind of an interesting design there yeah so all right so <sighs> interesting joe what add deck name yeah so uh we're gonna move uh and kind of shout out some cool people in the community you know uh so bad deck names is the definitely a, a thing uh we've been taught i actually i wrote about some legacy deck names this week in my article this week but uh my good buddy uh xj cloud on twitter has been sharing some bad deck name stories on on twitter and it's been fantastic uh so i, I want to shout out uh john uh ryan hamilton uh who is otherwise known as xj cloud uh because he's just he's killing it they're just they're just hilarious so scott who you got to shout out uh i got uh zebix on uh on twitter for her tiktok videos oh yeah yeah uh, i've seen those i'm i'm way too old for tiktok videos but seeing how her and other magic personalities like gavin Verhey, uh wiley um a lot of other uh, known people in the community Either help out with them, or they do poses that then turn into cards. Um, that, that's kind of neat. I, I really like just the creativeness. I mean, all stuck at home, right? So we, right. we got to do something. And this is kind of neat because I I'll scroll through Twitter and it's playing about uh, state officials and black and stupid in their protests, and it's like, oh, here's someone acting goofy, and hey, they morphed into a magic card so it gets me to stop and watch that for a few minutes i'm like it's neat hit the like keep going so they're they're doing a good job and 
They're getting tons of likes and follows. So definitely keep up the good work. Definitely need more, more name deck stories, more funny TikTok videos. Yeah, uh, for sure. I'd be a TikTok person myself. Um, but just something to bring some levity to everything that's going on. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, big shout out to Zbex on on those videos. Uh, they're really cool. Uh, they're very creative. Uh, definitely very interesting. Uh, so I have a confession to make, Joe. Oh no. What? If not watched Wars. You have not watched what? Uh, Clone Clone Wars. Oh, Scott. Scott. Look, I'm a big Star Wars fan, right? I saw A New Hope. I was like two or three in the local theater. Back when parents could like, yeah, you can go up to the second row. You know, they didn't worry about their kids getting kidnapped or murdered or whatever, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Darth Vader's my hero. (laughs) But when Clone Wars came out, I was like, Okay, I was like, I was hitting Star Wars fatigue before Disney even bought Star Wars. Ah. So, I I know that you've been itching to talk about, it and I want to kind of get ahead of the game. But I, I I will make an attempt once things settle down on this end to start watching it. I did yeah. with Game of Thrones when Game of Thrones came out. I didn't watch it at jump. I didn't start till season three was about to hit. Right, we grinded two seasons right before season three hit. So, it's like Princess Leia would say, there's still hope. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, I know this was a magic podcast, but I did want to talk about it a little bit. Week was May the fourth. Uh, so uh, you know, Revenge did, of the Fifth, huh? And Revenge Re- of the Fifth. Yep, yep, yep. So they did, uh, you know, finally release the last episode of uh, the Clone Wars on. Uh, Disney Plus, uh, and so they've been leading up to this. They 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 started this back in February, is when they started the season. This has been the last season of the Clones, uh, and the biggest thing about the Clone Wars in general in this this show uh, has always been about uh, human, basically humanizing uh, the conflict of the Clone Wars, because there wasn't really wasn't really a whole lot of what you were seeing in between uh, episode two and episode three, uh, you know, episode two, you see the beginning of the war and episode. Uh, and you don't really get to see all the in between stuff at all. Uh, and also when you pick up an episode three, it's really sort of confusing um, from just a movie standpoint as yeah. to how Anakin ends up, you know, finally falling to the dark side like it's really kind of for a lot of people it was like they said it was like oh sudden like because they didn't really you expected it was going to happen because it's going to happen because you know you already saw you know the other three movies that happened <laughs> you know before that and you knew that he was going to become Darth Vader but still like a lot of people were like okay well I... not a lot of build up so I think that's where Clone Wars does a really good job uh, personally, is that it does a really good job of better explaining uh, Anakin and better explaining how he uh, eventually gets to that point. Uh, and it also does a really good job of explaining that by virtue of having uh, the character of Ahsoka Tano. Uh, and that was uh, really the biggest thing about the show. If they, they basically said, somebody had said it, you could have 
a a show that the show if it had a protagonist at all uh you know if you were you know talking about in the classical terms of protagonist antagonist uh if the show had to have a real antagonist protagonist at all that protagonist is Ahsoka Tano uh and they did a really fantastic job with her character from the very beginning to the very end uh and I, I I'm not going to spoil it because I I don't want to spoil it for Scott spoil it <laughs> I mean you know you know what happens at you know you know what happens in the end you know what or what happens with yeah. sex, you know uh but uh I won't spoil it because it's it's really well done. Uh, the last four episodes of the series uh, all focus on a conflict that we never got to see uh, in really anywhere. I don't think it, this was the first time this conflict was actually shown anywhere. And that conflict was the Siege of Mandalore, uh, where we actually get to see the Mandalorians retaking back their home uh, from Darth Maul, who had been in control of the Mandalorians. Uh, for a long while, and was operating his criminal empire from uh, Mandalore, and so we get to see that. Uh, but then uh, it also allows us to see uh, the beginning of Order sixty six, and through Order sixty six, uh, to a point of getting to see it from the perspective of somebody who's, who does, you know get to survive essentially. Uh, but you also get to see how it affects the actual. Uh, and that's neat that they did a fantastic job with that. Uh, I, I posted a tweet this week and I, and I, I, I still mean it by every sense of the word that uh, I, after having watched rise of Skywalker, finally uh, don't shoot me. I didn't get to see it in theaters. Uh, <laughs> just, we, my wife and I finally got to watch it on on Monday when it came out on Disney Plus. Okay, and uh, I got done, and I said, "the The Clone Wars, the four episodes, four episodes of twenty three minutes apiece, uh, <laughs> was a better movie than all three of the Disney movies." Uh, and that makes me sad, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's really unfortunate. Um, you have this company that has the means to produce quality content. And heck, they were chasing the, the tale of Star Wars all the way back when they put out their first PG movie called The Black Hole. Right. One of my favorites of all time. And now you get the franchise and it's like eh, like I feel like I, I feel I like what the, the one thing that they could have done and it and it's something that has become after having seen all of Colin Wars, after having seen all uh, the one thing that they could have done uh, that I would have been happy with uh, is if they would have just given the, the trilogy. And this is a big and it's a big F. It's a big ask because, right. you know, at the time, you know, kind of an unknown guy. But now everybody knows who he is and aware of who he is. Uh, but uh, Dave Filoni, uh, who is the uh, executive producer and director of, of and creator, uh, you know, of Clone Wars of, of Rebels, you know, the mm -hmm. guy who's been involved uh, from the get-go, uh, if they would have handed the trilogy to him, those movies would have been amazing. They would have been everything a Star Wars fan wanted. Uh, and the big reason is, is that Dave Filoni gets Star Wars. He really does. 
there's I, there's no doubt in my mind that the man does get the product because also he was involved in the Mandalorian. Uh, and uh, if you want a good watch, if you haven't, uh, they've started a documentary series this week. Oh, okay. uh, on the Mandalorian about the making of the Mandalorian. And uh, the very first episode is about actors involved okay. uh, who were all involved in the making of the Mandalorian because they. Uh, and so you get to see like kind of like the personality and perspective of, of people like uh, Dave Filoni, uh, John Favreau, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, you get to see the perspective of guys like Taika Waititi, uh, which Taika Waititi is like a, a visionary. He should just do more movies. <laughs> ever <laughs> so i'm really 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 excited for the next thor movie because he did such a great job with ragnarok so it's quite frankly my favorite thor movie uh thor god uh, or thor love and thunder yes uh i believe it's coming out in 2022 they, the, all the pushbacks yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I, I will i will say this one last thing about star wars before we close yeah uh, hashtag justice for Lumia. <laughs> and yeah. like, she was so awesome when I read her in the comics way back in the day, Disney wiped all that out. Chop yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I am excited though, that, uh, they are, they've already talked about, um, you know, that they've already been doing filming production, on, uh, Mandalorian season two. Yeah, uh, and I'm really excited for that, uh, especially since uh, there has been obviously the inkling that there will be uh, a cameo uh, at some point in that season uh, by uh, a live action version of Ahsoka Tano. Yes, and so I'm really excited about that. Uh, like, there's there's a lot of characters in Star Wars, you know, but. Um, that I really like, but Ahsoka has kind of worked her way into my like top five, uh, just simply because of uh, Dave Filoni's work on the Clone Wars and her character development. They just, just once again, out. it's Tappy Hogan making us happy. Uh, John Favreau is an excellent person. Let me tell you, uh, he he knows he is another one that I am glad that isn't product like Star Wars and a, a universe like Star Wars and especially with his work on the Mandalorian. I'm, yeah. I'm just glad that he's around. Uh, he, he gets it. Uh, he obviously gets it's not that he obviously gets it. It's also he obviously gets who get that also gets it. If that makes sense, like he knows how to who to hire, you know, to that also gets these properties right. like, by including people like Dave Filoni just is yeah. like the ultimate Star Wars nerd. <laughs> he's more like a collaborative effort with everybody involved instead of a this person is in charge of all these people right dictating or whatever it's everybody working together yeah and if you want yeah like i said watch, check check definitely check out that it's a disney gallery is the name of the uh documentary series okay. uh and it's definitely well worth checking out like watched it today and it was like oh this is like they they really worked together on cool. all of this and they to make this a, not just a cohesive story, but also to like make sure that everybody was able to flare of talent 
you know, to the story Mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, so like, what was it? Um, Bryce Dallas Howard uh, did the episode with uh, Cara Dune in the, the, the swamp, the, the, the village where the Raiders were attacking. Yeah. Yeah. So she did that one. uh, And, you know, that one was a bit of a challenge for her. So it was something that she wasn't used to doing, but she managed to make a passable episode out. And it was very good. Uh, so, uh, you know, they did a really good job allowing her to kind of like do what she wanted to do with it, uh, but also kind of maintain that cohesiveness of the story. So it was very cool. So very, very enjoyable. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, checking so, things out where Joe, I, I think you said earlier you write about magic. Where, where can people check you out? Uh, yeah. So uh, if you want to find at Volras XP on Twitter, uh, but you can also check out my articles on MTG Goldfish at uh, for This Week in Legacy posted on Wednesdays and Vintage 101 posted on Fridays. Uh, Scott, what about you? Where can people find you before we get out of here? My articles uh, can be found over at legitmtg.com every Thursday, roughly about noon. So uh, bookmark that, check that out. I talk mostly about modern, but uh, this week's article, I kind of talk about companions and how uh, standard power level really isn't just for standard. It seems like every set that comes out is more about just changing magic across multiple formats and how that's really a problem. We're, we're aiming too high in the power level. We need to bring it back a little bit. Cool, cool. And, and just to re- remind everybody, cast catch up with uh, any postings from the cast itself. Uh, you can follow the podcast at the Astrolab cast on Twitter. Uh, you can also uh, find us on uh, anchor.fm uh, slash the Astrolab. Uh, you can also find uh, us on email and email us at uh, the Astrolab podcast at gmail.com. And also uh, we are uh, now a couple more platforms after anchor uh, went ahead and submitted uh, and distributed to a couple platforms. Uh, there were some issues uh, uh, this week with um, Google podcasts where the link wasn't popping up. Uh, I checked it today earlier and it is actually popping up now. So we are now on Google Podcasts. Uh, we are now on Spotify. Uh, you can find us on there. There's a couple other ones that you can Google. find us on. Uh, but we are not on Apple yet. Uh, that one has not popped up yet. So uh, I don't know if I need to submit that one manually or not. I'm not really sure. So, but other than that, that's all we got for uh, this uh, this episode of the Astrolab. I want to thank you guys for joining us. This was a little bit of a long one, but yeah, uh, try and uh, and (laughs) yeah, (laughs) and and Star Wars, obviously. Yeah, so so again, thank you guys for listening. Remember to support the podcast, join, follow us on Twitter, and uh, please don't ban us. We we really like drawing cards and making mana. Thanks, guys. And Astrolabe, not Astrolab. Yeah, yeah, ban Astrolabe, not Astrolab.